Listen to these words. He was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Good idea? Not a very good idea if you're talking to people who only, only believe in one God. Not a very good idea if it's not true. Making yourself equal with God. Risky business. Talking to monotheists. People who only believe in one God. And yet, yet it is exactly what Jesus says. It's exactly what Jesus claimed. Which causes me to say, how could it be? How can it be that there's only one God and Jesus says that the Father is God and He says that He's God? How, how can this be? I think Jesus was telling the truth. I think it's all true. But how in the world can this be? How can there be a father and a son if there's only one God and they're both equally God? A lot of people throughout history have claimed to be God. And they've proven time and time again to be what we might say a few fries short of a happy meal. Right? They're crazy. If I were British, I'd say they're nutters. They're nuts. And yet Jesus claimed to be God. How can this be? And what's interesting in John chapter 5 verses 19 and following is Jesus takes us by the hand, if you will, and takes us to the deep end of the pool and helps us understand. He helps us understand somewhat of the complexities, the significant, the significance, the, the depth deep into the pool, the depth of how it is there can be one God and he speaks of his father and yet he says that he himself is equal with the father. So our study today won't be for the faint of heart. It won't be easy. Um, it's, it's complicated. I have an outline this morning in part just to help me, okay? You, you don't need to follow the outline, but if you need the help, you can follow my outline. I've got nine conclusions about Jesus as the Son, helping us understand how He relates to the Father. Nine conclusions about Jesus as the Son to help us. He's helping us to help us understand how the Son relates to the Father. It makes sense. It's not nonsense, but it is complicated. John 5, verses 19 to 30 for this morning. Nine conclusions about Jesus as the divine Son. And what I hope happens as a result is we know more so that we can therefore honor Jesus the way He's supposed to be honored. Okay? And that is about the most worthy, the most significant thing we could possibly do. It's interesting, it's Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the birth of the one who is none other than the eternal God, God the Son, who comes here to be among us, to become one of us. It's, it's, it's rather profound, especially when we talk about his 
his lowliness and, and where he was born and the situation he was born in. And then we eventually get to the cross and we see how he was treated. And yet we're going to see that he's supposed to be honored just like the Father is honored. First conclusion about Jesus, the divine Son. These are a little wordy, sorry about that. Number one, the Son does not act independently. The Son does not act independently. Verse 19, so Jesus said to them, this is right after he claims to be God, right? And they want to they kill him as a result. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, earnestly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. In other words, you want to boil it down? I'm not a rival with the one true and living God, God the Father, right? We know he is God because of John 1, 1. As well as other passages, Jesus is designated as God. People even call him God in John chapter 20. So here he is, nothing shy of fully God. And yet, he's not a rival with his father. And he's trying to make that point. He doesn't act independently. He, He only does what he sees his father doing, it says. Now, if you go back to verse 17, and I hate to take us back there, but Jesus said to them, my father is working until now, and I am working. the, The reason I healed this man and did what I did is because I'm doing what God does. God, my father, which was so outlandish. But they're, they're, they're together. They're not rivals. They, they have different roles. Yes, we'll see that, but they're complementary roles. Okay, let's move on to number two, the next conclusion about Jesus as the divine son. The son does what the father does. The son does what the father does. Also in verse 19, for whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. This is a super easy one to see, easy outline point, but the son does what the father does. There's no, there's no arguing, there's no fighting, there's no competing deities. No, father, son. Son does what the father does. It's pretty straightforward. They're, they're united, they're together. There's no threat. It's also pretty cool to stop and consider just for a moment before we move on. If the son does what the father does, not only are they united... What does that tell us about the ability of the Son, about the authority of the Son, about the power of the Son? It's nothing less than the Father's power, right? Because for the Son to do what the Father does, the Father is God. It's no wonder Jesus does the things He does. What what an interesting statement. The Son does what the Father does. They're interchangeable. The Father does what the Son does. If I can, just for a moment, I realize that this is not all about us. This is about how the Son relates to the Father. Sorry, it's not a sermon about you. Um, Those are the kind we like. But it does relate to you and it relates to me because when Jesus makes promises, like if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. It's not an empty promise because he does what the Father does. He has the power, none other than the power of God. In other words, therefore, you can trust him. You can trust him. 
When you read the promises in your Bible from Jesus, those are God's promises. The one who is almighty and powerful. I mean, we should just close our Bibles and be done and be out of here, right? I mean, that, that's enough to sustain us. It should be. Wow. He does what the Father does, and that assumes He can. Let's move on to number three. A third conclusion about Jesus, the divine Son, is this. Number three, the Son is loved by the Father. The Son is loved by the Father, and because of the love, the Father shows Him everything. Think of it this way before we read the verse. When we read in Isaiah that my ways are not your ways, my ways are above your ways. Right? God's ways are above our ways and His ways are not our ways. It's a mystery. Just know that that could never nor will it ever be said regarding the Father and the Son. The Father loves the Son in this unique special way to the point where nothing is mystery. He reveals it all to him. Let's go ahead and see in verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all. That's what I underlined. He shows him all that he himself is doing. No mystery. He knows it all. He knows everything. He shows him all because of this unique kind of love. And isn't it interesting? We always want to talk about God's love for us, and that's awesome. But apart from this, then we couldn't know God's love for us. I can't wait till we get to John 17 because we're going to really... I mean, if we're in the deep end learning about God, we're going to go to the uber deep end, high dive deep end, where you can't touch the bottom talking about this intra-Trinitarian love relationship that should cause us to be baffled and worship. But here we at least get a taste. The Father loves the Son in such a unique and extraordinary way like only a father could with a son that He reveals everything to Him. So therefore, everything Jesus has been doing is because he knows fully well the plans and purposes of God. No mystery. They're exactly on the same page. Healing of that man on the Sabbath, absolutely God's will. No mystery. Jesus didn't have to pray, oh, is this God's will or not? No, because he's the divine son. And the father uniquely loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. There's no threat. There's no compromise. The Jews are terrified. Who is this guy who claims to be the Son of God? We need to kill him. He's threatening Yahweh, the one true God. No, he's God the Son. How about verse 20 where it goes on to say, And greater works, and greater works than these he will show him, so that you may marvel. So we've seen great things that can't be explained. They're supernatural. They're extraordinary. We know it's God's will. We know it's the Father's will because the Son knows the Father's will. And so when the Son acts, it's the Father. 
wanting that to happen, wanting it to happen. They're, they're in partnership, not in competition. And he says, and, and there, there are even going to be greater works than this shown. And we're going to see it's, it's resurrection kind of stuff. This is the Father's will. So, next we have an example of this that's meant to bring marveling. We're to be marveling at this. But I'm going to call it number four. Fourth conclusion about Jesus, the divine son, is the son will share in giving life. The son will share in giving life. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, I'm just going to pause for a second, the Father raises the dead and gives them life, does that sound like what God should do? It does sound like what God should do. It sounds like what God and God alone should do. For only God could give life. Only God could raise the dead. We're not going to take the time to go there, but in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 7, there's a great statement regarding that. So no controversy. The Jews don't have a problem with God giving life and God raising the dead. That's divine prerogative. Nobody else could do that. Keep reading. So also, I mean, that right there is just like, what? So also, how in the world are you going to finish that sentence? This is only God's business so also the Son gives life to whom He will. I, I, what, what do you say to that? It's why we worship Jesus, for starters. God has the authority to give life, to raise the dead. And Jesus gives life and raises the dead. He is unique. He is special. He is different with a different and special relationship with His Father. Now, one thing is kind of interesting. In the Old Testament, you do see God using people. God used Elijah in a very special way when it comes to life and death. But he was, he was an agent of God. There's no question in the Jewish minds that Elijah was not God. He, he wasn't independent in his actions. He was an agent. But on purpose, strong wording in verse 21, the Son gives life to whom He will. Going out of its way, going out of His way to make it clear that we're not talking about some secondary kind of agency. We're talking about equality here. God and God alone gives life, yes. Jesus gives life. Jesus is the unique Son who is worthy of marveling. And here's where I'd like to give you an illustration. Here's where I would like to do some application. Here's where I'd like to tell you a story, because people love to hear stories. I don't have an illustration, I don't have any application, and I don't have a story. Just as Jesus gives life to whom he will. I'm glad we sang fall on your knees. (laughs) 
This changes everything. Number five. The next conclusion about Jesus, the divine son, is that the son is given judgment. The son is given judgment. And again, along the same lines, before we read verse 22, who's, who and who alone should, is the ultimate judge? Well, we, we would say in any other context, God. Yeah, that's right. That's great thinking. And, in, and if Jesus is not the son of God, then he's a crazy person. Verse 22, for the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. That demands that Jesus be the Son. <laughs> it demands that He be equal with the Father. Now, I don't want to get bogged down here. But you may recall in chapter 3, verse 17, that Jesus came into the world not to judge, but to save. Both are true. God could have sent His Son into the world only to judge, because everyone deserves judgment. But the, the note that is being struck in chapter 3 is salvation, even for sinners. God is extraordinarily merciful and kind and gracious, and, and, and He sent His Son into the world not to judge the world. That's what we deserve. But to save. 3, 16, 17, and then 18 talks about judgment. But the, the note that is struck, the emphasis is on salvation made possible when it was impossible. God loves us. Amazing. But that is not to say there is no judgment because 3.18 had judgment. And what we're seeing here is God has given, God the Father has given judgment to the Son. That's a divine role. It's a divine role. Only God can do that. More about the judgment thing in just a little bit. We'll get to it in verse 27. So for now, I want to move on. We'll come back to judgment because I know you're dying to learn about judgment. It's everybody's favorite topic. Not really. We're concerned about people who like to talk about it, right? Rightfully so. But it will be good and important because that's what God does. Verse, or excuse me, number six. Next conclusion about Jesus, the divine son, is this. The son is to be equally honored. The judgment is to bring honor because if he's a true, pure, just judge, that's honorable. So 23 says that. So it connects earlier to the judgment that all, on, all may honor the son, right? He's going to be the judge so that he could be honored and respected and revered. That all honor, uh, that all may honor the son. And here are those two big, huge, important words, just as they honor the father. In my notes, I just wrote outrageous. Outrageously true. He gives the role of judge to the son. And that is, we even say this kind of in our culture, that to the most honorable, speaking of a judge, gives that honorable position to the son. That's a position only God should be in. That's right. That's right. 
just as. Again, I think of a manger scene since it's Christmas. Just as the Father, He should be honored. And then all of the rejection along the way, just as the Father, He should be honored. And then Calvary, just as the Father, He should be honored. Tells us something of God's love for us. Something rather profound. It tells us something of our deep, 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 deep sin. We meet the honorable one and we kill the honorable one. And along the way we say he's Satan. We need him as Savior. To to provide a little contrast in light of what we've just heard about Jesus, that he's to be honored because he's the judge with equal honor as the Father. Just listen to a couple of classic Old Testament passages that are in conflict with what we're reading. If Jesus isn't divine. Isaiah 42 verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory, honor idea, my glory I give to no other, nor praise, honor idea, to carved idols. I would never, ever, it would be contrary to my being to show honor, if you will, to allow honor to be given to any created thing. So we have a problem with Jesus? No. He's the eternal son. There's no problem, actually. Isaiah 48, my glory I will not give to another. And here the father is, if you will, giving his glory to his son. Because he's his son. For him to give it to you or to me would be wrong. For him to not give it to his very own son would be wrong. It's right. Jesus is unique and different and extraordinary and there are no illustrations and there are no comparisons. He's to be honored. I really appreciate what one writer said about verse 23. They said this, The one who utters such things is to be dismissed with pity or scorn or worshipped as Lord. Likewise, verse 23 continues. Look with me if you would. Are you getting used to the deep end? Ready to take your floaties off? Probably not. Verse 23 goes on to say, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. That's a zinger, right? It would be impossible. But imagine again, this is being said to a Jewish audience. If you don't honor the Son, it's impossible to honor the Father. It's no wonder Jesus will go on to say things like, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. 
It helps us also to understand the emphasis that comes up in John's Gospel about Jesus being the Savior of the world. There aren't any other saviors because you, you, you have to honor the Father by honoring the Son and, and it's impossible to show dishonor to the Son and show honor to the Father. It, it's His Son. We don't live in quite that same context, but we do live in a context of religious pluralism where mutually exclusive ideas can be right. This is a good verse to help us. I'm not suggesting we should be mean. I'm not suggesting we should be mean. But we also should be clear and right thinking about this. Apart from honoring the Son, there's no honoring of the Father. The great Abrahamic faiths are non-existent. There is one great Abrahamic faith, and it's the one who sees Jesus as the divine Son. It's important to know. I'm not asking you to be intolerant, right? To digress, it used to be to be intolerant, you had to disagree with someone. I'm asking you to be tolerant, but not accepting. See the difference? In our day, to tolerate someone is to agree with them. That doesn't even make sense. Jesus is not saying you can't be tolerant, but Jesus is saying you cannot honor the Father apart from honoring me. It's an exclusive truth claim. It's why we do evangelism. It's why they want to kill Jesus. But now we're off track. This is further developed with number seven. Next conclusion. We have nine of these. We're going we're to go fast, I promise. Number seven. The Son and Father are to be heard for eternal life. The Son and Father are to be heard for eternal life. Maybe I should say the Father and Son are to be heard for eternal life. But it complements what we just saw. Same basic idea. You can't have one without the other. Verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, Jesus says, that's a huge statement. Whoever hears my word and believes Him, the Father who sent me, notice they're together, but it's both, has eternal life. Now, maybe this wouldn't be so outrageous if we just read, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in the Father has eternal life. But, but Jesus is making it clear, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me, so they're actually working together. The Father sends the Son and said, this is my Son, Listen to him. Behold, I'm well pleased with him. I'm getting my words mixed up. You get the idea. The, the father sends the son and affirms the son. And that's important. Jesus doesn't discount that. They're together in this. But Jesus also says, whoever hears my words. He does not come into judgment, it says, but has passed from death to life. 
Now, we're artificially chopping this up. We, we have left verses 1 to 18 alone. But remember, with Jesus' words, the guy who for 38 years, I think is how long it was, who'd never been able to walk, gets up when Jesus said, get up. So that powerful, authoritative word from Jesus to do what no human being, mere human being could do, we've seen on display. And now we see that becomes an illustration of eternal life. His word. You hear my word? You know, you get up for resurrection? Yeah. Eternal life. He's already put his word's power on display. And now he's talking about it once again. That was in verse 8 and 9. But it's together for eternal life. As one person said, faith placed in the Son is placed in the Father who sent Him. It's a great way to summarize it. How about verse 25? Let's keep going. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And I wrote, how can this be? How can that possibly be? Verse 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. The Father as God can give life, no quarrels, at least among these monotheists here. The Son as God can give life, Alarming, unsettling, amazing. Okay, we just need to quick put the floaties back on and go in the extra deep end of the pool just for a moment. Um, Some of you won't care about this, but... There is a statement there that Jesus makes that creates a little bit of a theological question. It's, it's a big question. It's an important question. And, and I don't want to... I was tempted to, to move on, but I, I won't do it. Just for, for a moment or two, where it says it was granted. Do notice that in verse 26. He has granted, God the Father has granted the Son also to have life in himself. To have life in yourself for the Father would be for him to be God. And then it says, the Father has granted this to be true for the Son. And at first blush, that's actually a problem. Because that assumes that Jesus didn't have life in himself until it was granted by the Father. And yet we know, according to chapter 1, verse 1, he did. In chapter 1, verse 4, he has life in himself. And so there's a big theological discussion about this. One way to solve the, the, the discussion or to make a conclusion here, and it's the way I'm going to go for, um, would be here he is talking about Jesus, the incarnate one who became a human being. Before Jesus came here, he is the eternal God, one, 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 four. He has life in himself. And yet he voluntarily places restrictions upon himself when he becomes a human being. And I think that's the right, the easiest, if you will, theological context to understand that it's been granted to him to have life in himself as the incarnate one. The great Princeton theologian Charles Hodge uh, 
holds my view, so he's a great theologian. <laughs> Said this, What the passage teaches, therefore, concerns the, cons- uh, the constitution of Christ's person as he appeared on earth and not the nature of his relation of the Father in the Godhead. Again, all kinds of articles. I could quote more people, I guess, here in my notes and footnotes, but for the sake of simplicity, I guess, and expediency, we're going to move on. Number eight, next next conclusion about Jesus, the divine son, is this. The son, as the son of man, is the executor of judgment. The son, as the son of man, is the executor of judgment. This might not seem significant, but it really is. 27, and he has given him, Father has given the Son authority to execute judgment. We've already seen a little bit of this, but notice here, because he is the Son of Man. The Son of Man, taken from the Old Testament, the Son of Man is the ultimate, one we've been waiting for, eternal, forever ruling, perfect judge, king. Daniel chapter 7. Well-known passage. The Son of Man is the ultimate judge. The Son of Man is the ultimate king judge. He's the ultimate ruler. He's the one who will rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And so here Jesus, as he's claiming to be the Son of Man, It makes more sense. But it's a huge, huge claim. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one the Bible's been anticipating. I am the one who's been given judgment. And it makes sense because the Son of Man is supposed to be given judgment. And I say it all the time, but I'll keep saying it because we always have new people and we always are, are needing reminder a reminder Son of Man is not the title for humanity of Jesus. Okay, so forget what you learned in Sunday school and teach it differently as a Sunday school teacher. Son of God, Son of Man. It's not true to say Son of God is His deity, Son of Man is His humanity. It's just not true. Son of Man is an official messianic title from Daniel chapter 7 that talks about Him ruling and reigning forever. Mere human beings don't do that. Okay? It's true, He is fully God and fully man. Just don't use that nice and neat little ditty thing. It it, it undersells. Jesus is saying here, all judgment's been given to me because I'm Him. I'm the one you've been waiting for. Daniel 7, 13, I saw the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. There it is. And he came to the ancient of days. Okay, the father, capitals. And was presented before him and to him was given dominion. Okay? And glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Messiah. The Son of Man. The Son here, according to verse 27, is the Son of Man and the Son of Man is the executor of God's justice. 
Jesus is connecting dots here for us. He is therefore the one to whom everyone will give an account. Everyone will answer. Okay, one left, right? Number nine? Or should we wait till next week? One left. One left. And it's, it's, it's still early. There's still plenty of time for you to get to Runza afterward and have the seasonal Italian Runza. 740 calories, I hate to say. Dang. The other day I was in the office and someone said, Italian Runzas are back. And I was like, oh, why'd you tell me? I got online. They opened it, I think, 10 o'clock. Then I looked up the calories, 740 calories. If I eat two of those, how long do I have to ride my bike to... <laughs> I went and just gobbled down two of those things and just wanted to jump off a cliff. How did we get off on that track? There's time, okay? But, do, but don't check out... The last one is actually really, really, really good and has to do with you and has to do with God's judgment and it has to do with Christ and salvation... I don't want to say it's my favorite part, but it really is important to see Jesus here, okay? How about number nine? The next conclusion, the final conclusion about Jesus, the divine son, is that number nine, the son is the ultimate just judge, the perfect just judge, the consummate just judge, which is pretty mind-blowing if he's a mere human being. In fact, it doesn't make sense if he's a mere human being. He has to do, to do this. He has to be the Son. The Son is the consummate, the ultimate, the long-awaited just judge. How about verse 28? Look there with me if you would. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. That would be the voice of the Son of Man, the ultimate ruler judge. They will hear the voice, they will hear his voice, verse 29, and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. What's happening there? Just for a second, keep your finger there. He's saying that, that the commonly agreed upon, even by these Jews, time when at the very end of days, when God will judge people, when everything will be accounted for, where everyone will have to give an account, everyone will have to answer, when that comes, ultimate judgment day, and he's saying, I'm the one. That is a huge claim. But it would make sense if he's the son of man. Notice it's just. People who do good have eternal life. People who don't get, do good have condemnation. He's fair. He's just. Verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. So this is not just some rogue kind of rebellious son. This is the unique son who's committed to his father. His father loves him. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Okay? Or righteous or fair. There will be no saying that's not fair. No. Judgment is just. It's a redundancy. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
It's not going rogue. This is just logic. This just makes sense. But, but he's saying, I'm that one. Question. Is it good that Jesus would be that one? Yeah? Is it good to be just? Yeah. I almost said, is it good to be good? It's nice to be nice. Is it right to be just? Yeah. As a matter of fact, they come from the same word. Right, righteous, just, justice, at least in the original language. And Jesus is making it clear, I'm going to do the Father's will. I'm not going to be on my own. I'm going to give everyone what they deserve. And that is the very thing that God does. God is not corrupt. God does not take bribes. God is not a compromiser. He is not unjust. No, no, no. And Jesus says, I'm going to be exactly like that because I'm his representative. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that the whole world has been waiting for. So, is it good? Is it right? You would say, yes. Is it good news? No. It's not good news. It's not good news at all. It's good and right. But if you go back to verse 29 and you're honest with yourself, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, it's not good news. It's not good news for me. It's not good news for you. As I like to say, if there are two lines, and I'm making this up, but if there are two lines, and all the people who have done wrong are in one line, and all the people who have done good, true, ultimate good, are in another line, we've got a really long line over here, right? And how long is the line over here of all the good people? short. But some of you are smart enough to know, and you know your Bibles well enough to know, there is somebody in that line. There's one somebody in that line. And that one somebody is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only the judge. He also is the substitute. He also is the good one who does everything right on behalf of everyone who would ever believe so that we can have assurance of eternal life because we are in the good line if we're resting or trusting or believing in the good one. It's extraordinary. Not, this is not developed in John chapter 5. But we're going to see it. And we see it all over the place. I love it that Jesus is going to say in John eleven twenty five, 25, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. I'm the resurrection. And if you believe in me, you'll be resurrected. Life resurrection, not death resurrection. Because we're believing in him. The one who's worthy of resurrection because he's righteous. That's why I love Romans chapter 8 where Jesus is called the firstborn See, he's worthy of resurrection, but he's the firstborn among many because he represents many. I would, I mean, I wouldn't start a war over it or anything because there are different views on this passage, but I would caution you against quickly reading our verse, verse 29, and saying, yeah, that's me by my works. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life yeah, what that means is the, uh, the, the good that I do and the fruit in my life. How much fruit? How good is good enough? Bigger context, Jesus is telling the truth. It's always been true that those who are good will get life. And those who are bad will get death. In principle, that's always true. It always has been, always will be. But see, that's why you need the just for the unjust so that you can be declared just, declared righteous, if you will. And it's interesting in our passage earlier on, he says, you, if you believe in me, no judgment. You already have life. So we can already look to that future day and otherwise we might be going, da, 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 da. Do I, am I good enough? Am I good enough? Am I good enough? And I'm going to say, no, 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 no. Earlier on in our passage, he speaks in very clear, definitive terms. If you believe, you hear my word right and believe in the one who sent me, you've already entered into life. I already know what's going to happen on that day. It's already a done deal. That's why you believe in Jesus. You rest in Jesus. And because of Jesus, actually that very short line is going to be a very, 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 very long line. Because we will be good, not in our own or on our own, but because we're in Him. We're united to Him by faith. Therefore, I would say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus and give him the honor that is due his name as a great and mighty Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for our time that we have together here at Omaha Bible Church. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. Some have already met for worship. Some still will. We pray that you might strengthen them and build them up and encourage them, that pastors might be faithful to point to Christ and his sufficiency. And the body of Christ would bring encouragement that we might experience the building up of the body of Christ for his honor and for his glory. Indeed, you are a matchless Savior worthy of our honor. In Jesus' name, amen.